Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you are blessed by today's sermon. Hello, everyone. Good evening. Um, it is Palm Sunday, which is a wonderful time to reflect on the passion of our Lord and what it meant for him to come into uh, Jerusalem to uh, take on himself the sins of the whole world and so that we can be saved. So bottom line up front in our sermon is the exchange of a son for a son. So we'll talk about that in the sermon. Um, but the bottom line up front, uh, Jesus deserves all that we are and all that we have. We are invited to the new covenant Passover meal. And so for me, uh, I'll give you a little testimony about myself. Um, growing up in, in Michigan, I grew up in a home uh, that I had a stepfather who was kind of very, very uh, distant. I had a father who was literally distant, lived on like, the other side of the country, distant. And so I saw him once in a while. Um, so I kind of grew up feeling really kind of abandoned, forgotten kind of not loved, except for my wonderful grandparents who are here this weekend, who are taking care of our grandkids, or their grandkids, our kids. Um, my grandpa stepped in and my grandma stepped in, and they really filled that void for me. Um, they really, really uh, took care of me. And my stepdad and I have a better relationship now than we've ever had, but just growing up, it was, he was kind of foreign to me. He really didn't feel like dad sometimes. Um, and so growing up, I, I kind of substituted a father, right? And, and I, didn't, I, I didn't really know uh, what it was to have a father until I found God. And that's when I was able to really find the substitute, the, the true father. And so not even a substitute, but actually the, <laughs> actually the opposite of a substitute, right? A real father who could step in and be the dad that none of my dads could be. And I think in our own life today, a lot of us have daddy issues. I mean, a lot of us grow up with dads who are either absent or distant, um, either living halfway across the country like mine did, or just being halfway across the country in the living room. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's important for us to think about that during this time, that God desires everything that we are and everything that we have. So everything that we are being um, everything that all of our talents, all of our time, and all of our treasure, um, everything that he's given us as far as our ability to, for example, I really enjoy teaching. I really enjoy uh, pastoring and caring for people and uh, taking care of uh, people that need uh, whatever they need, right? Um, as a pastor, <laughs> you never really know what you might be taking care of. Uh, but he's all, he also deserves our treasure, right? He deserves our money, a financial uh, giving, and he, desi or, or he also um, uh, should have all of our, um, what did I say so far? Our time, right? I didn't say time. <laughs> our time. And so all of our time being uh, given to him in our morning, it might be five minutes in the morning where we spend in prayer, but throughout the day just reflecting on God what should I be doing at this moment? What could I be doing at this moment to serve you, to serve my neighbor? And so I think as I accepted Christ, 
I realized that the life that I was living was not godly. I was really living for myself. I still struggle with pride. Joe and I were talking about that earlier. Um, it's easy for me to get caught in the trap of pride. It's easy for me to um, try to win approval or try to be the center of attention. And I think a lot of guys struggle with that. I think that's pretty common for most, most guys. Uh, but when I discovered Christ, I realized that everything that I was doing for myself, really, I should be focusing on him. So instead of trying to get people's attention for myself, I mean, I played in a rock band, and I was kind of a punk rock guy. And so I really enjoyed everybody's attention. Look at me, look at me, right? Um, re- listen to my lyrics. But when I started to focus everything on Christ, uh, everything started to line up better, you know? Um, I wasn't hanging out with the wrong girls. <laughs> I wasn't hanging out with the wrong people. And I wasn't getting involved with the wrong things. And so uh, everything started to straighten out once I started to get my priorities straight and started to really focus on Jesus. I accepted him as my Lord and Savior. I said, Lord, take all my sin. And um, from that moment on, uh, God has been in my life. It's not that I haven't screwed up. The Christian life is one of maturing and growing in your faith. And so as you grow and you get sanctified in Christ, um, you will inevitably become a, a more mature Christian. But uh, it's, not, it's not an easy path, and it's, it takes time. And you're not going to be the Christian that God wants you to be or is planning for you to be um, at the day of your conversion, usually. It takes time, right? And so I'm going to kind of focus in on that uh, as I go through this passage. So if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. 1 Corinthians 5, 6-8. So Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he has this problem because one of the guys in the church is um, sleeping with his stepmother. Is Right? That's, what, that's what's going on, I think. <laughs> if I remember correctly. Uh, he is living in sexual immorality. And so in preceding chapter 5, we have chapter 4. Um, and so he's asking that uh, they deliver this man over uh, for his immorality. And he's actually rebuking the entire church. He says in verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not, uh, not all meaning the sexual immor- uh, the immoral of the world, or the greedy and swindlers or adulterers. So he kind of goes into all that. Um, But he says, But now I am writing, verse 11, to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an adulterer. So God, uh, God desires us to be a living sacrifice. And if you look at the sacrifices of the Old Testament, how pure they are, how spotless they are, um, that is a symbol uh, to show us our own life. We need to be spotless. We need to be pure as a living sacrifice for God. And so going to verses 6 through 8, uh, Paul writes, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. So a lump of um, dough, right, to make bread. Um, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So Paul's talking about Holy Communion here. And he says, Let us therefore celebrate the festival, talking about Passover, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, 
but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So he's talking about casting out all those things that make you uh, a bad <laughs> loaf of bread, basically. Whatever is going to keep you from being the sacrifice, the, uh, the Passover sacrifice that you need to be, because not only do we receive the sacrifice, but we are the sacrifice. Um, when we participate in the sacrifice, uh, we need to be a pure uh, lump of dough so that we can be a, the perfect leavened loaf in this Passover meal. So not only do we receive the bread, but we are the bread. That's uh, kind of what Paul's po- pointing to. And it's really cool in the Old Testament. You look at the tabernacle and you have the, the bread, um, the bread of the presence. You have bread sitting there. And it's kind of weird because it's like nobody really eats the bread except for the priests, right? But you have this bread just sitting there. But I love how it points to the bread of heaven, it points to Jesus. It points to Holy Communion today. Um, there's a lot of amazing connections. And so that brings me to our passage for tonight, which is um, from Mark chapter 15, 1 through 15. So let me read verse 1 for you. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. So the Sanhedrin were composed of priests, elders, and scribes. So these are all the Jewish religious leaders. And they were the Jewish religious leaders, but they did not have the authority to put Jesus to death. And why? Because the Roman Empire had taken over uh, Israel, taken over Jerusalem. And so they were in charge of putting people to death. And so the, the religious leaders would put people to death sometimes, but they wouldn't put somebody like Jesus to death because he was too big of a figure. I mean, it's easy to take somebody like a prostitute or a, um, a tax collector or somebody like that. They might be able to sneak, like, sneak them away and kill them in private, right? And the Romans might not notice. But somebody like Jesus, they could not do that. So they had to be pretty careful with how they got him put to death. And that's what our reading is uh, this evening. So Jesus was a popular figure, and it would have been impossible to secretly or quietly get rid of him. So they had to do it properly. Um, And the only way to do it properly was to have the Roman authorities crucify him. So let's let's read verse 2. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. So Jesus did not deny being king. So Verses uh, from Isaiah chapter 11, 1, and uh, John is really good for this, so we'll look at that in a second. But um, Isaiah 11, 1 talks about the stump of Jesse. And so in the Old Testament, we have the Davidic covenant where uh, no one will, or someone will always sit on the throne of David. So no, God will never get rid of the line of David. And so Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of this. Because if you read through First and Second Kings, it is a messy story. There are a lot of kings who come to the throne and do some really, really wicked stuff and end up getting killed. And sometimes they're literally reigning for like six months. I mean, it's really, really messy. And so all of those kings point toward the perfect king, who is Jesus Christ. And so Jesus doesn't deny being king. Let's look at John 18, 36 through 38. John 18, 36 through 38. So 36 says, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. 
If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. And so Jesus is clearly saying, if my kingdom was of this world, all I would have to do is call down a legion of angels, or 12 legions of angels, I think is what he says in one point. If, if my kingdom were of this world, I wouldn't have to worry about being put on a cross. But his kingdom is not of this world. And he says, uh, then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? So literally, the author of truth, literally the one who is truth, is sitting in front of Pilate, and he says, what is truth? How devastating is that? The one who could save him, the one who could give him the truth, is sitting in front of him, and he misses it. But he's not the only one that misses it, and we'll, we'll see in a minute. He is the, the entire community that is gathered around, the entire crowd, they're all shouting out, crucify him, crucify him. The person that has come to save Israel, they all miss it. The way, the truth, and the life is standing in front of them, and they miss it. And how often in our own lives is it easy for us to miss it? We set up our sacred cows and we forget about certain things that are more important. Sometimes we build our churches and we forget about the souls outside. We build our rituals and we forget about how important it is that we actually wash feet, not just ceremoniously like we might on Monday, Thursday, right? But um, that we actually wash feet. We actually serve people, not just in our congregation, but in the world. And we bring them into the fellowship and we make sure that they get saved. They come to know Jesus and they have, they have eternal life. And so go, let's go back to where I was in Mark chapter 15. The, the crown of thorns, the purple robe, the title king, and even the crucifixion itself is very ironic. So he is the king, right? He just said that he is the king, and, and, he, and he is testifying to Pilate, you know, I'm a king, but my kingdom's not of this world. The Romans literally put a crown of thorns, and this, this, um, these thorns were like long. Like you, you guys know get cat claw here in West Texas. Growing up in Michigan, we didn't have stuff like that. When I moved down here and I saw a cat claw, I was like, what the heck is this stuff? I saw them thorns, and I was like, this is crazy. That's the kind of stuff that they wrapped around Jesus' head, right? And those thorns would go so deep that they would gouge the skull. I mean, they would rip the flesh and blood would be pouring down. His face, if you guys have seen The Passion, if you haven't seen it, you should. Um, a lot of people think it's grotesque and it's, it's not you know, accurate. It's like too grotesque. No, that's reality. His face would have been covered in blood. It would have been hard to even recognize him because of how much blood would have been on his face. And it's very, very... Uh, Sad, really. I mean, and then he's wearing a purple robe, right? He's, he has this purple robe wrapped around him just like a king. He is the king, and, and, and they, they wrap him in a robe like a king. They bow down to him. And I, uh, irony is these are Gentiles. These aren't even Jewish people. And they're bowing down to Jesus, not realizing that someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And these Gentiles are, are already bowing down to him mocking him, and someday they will all bow down to him, confessing that he is Lord. 
And the crucifixion itself is probably the most ironic thing. They lift him up. They elevate him. And Jesus says that when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. So his, his cross becomes a throne. This king, who is the king of the universe, he is lifted up. That God, that God you know, he humbles himself, he, he, even to the point of death. It, t- it talks about in Philippians, Paul is writing to the Philippians, telling him, he humbled himself to the point of even death, even death on our cross. And, and God, the Father, glorifies him and honors him and, and lifts him up. So he's glorified through the cross. So this, this thing that, like the Persians, I'm pretty sure it was the Persians, invented this thing to, to be this awful weapon to terrify the people. People would walk by and they would shake their heads, you know, uh, just in disbelief, you know. I know some of us have walked by some people in the community and sometimes we see them and they're, they're sitting on the side of the street begging or whatever and, you know, sometimes you just walk by and your heart just sinks, you know, because in your chest you see these people and they're hurting. People would walk by Jesus. They'd walk by and people before Jesus, right? People that were crucified. And their heart would sink in their chest and they would shake their heads, you know, just because of how humiliating it was to be on a cross. But this thing that was humiliating, this thing that was meant to cause excruciating pain so that nobody would, nobody would rise up against the Romans, nobody would try to stop the Romans, um, that becomes the thing that draws all people to Jesus, draws all people to God. So the crowd is intimidating uh, Pilate, and they corner him by questioning his loyalties. So that's John 19, 12. Um, so I'll, I'll read that for us. John 19, 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. So it's interesting, he says, Jesus says, Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at, at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And so Jesus is saying, the authority that you have to crucify me, it's not from you. It's God, God the Father, my Father in heaven, has given you authority to do this, to accomplish what needs to be accomplished for the salvation of the world. Jesus was not out of control here. Jesus was fully in control of this situation. God the Father was fully in control of the cross. The cross was not God losing control. The cross was God's way of saving us. And, and it says here in verse 35, 1935, or 1835 rather, um, or say I say 19, let me go back. What did I say? 1912. 1912, from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And so here at this point, he's in a, in a serious situation. And there had been outbreaks and uprisings before this. And if an upri- uprising happened again, and you know, this is kind of, Jerusalem was a pretty turbulent place. And there was a lot of people that wanted the Romans overthrown. And at this point, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. He was in a pickle. I mean, <laughs> he could not say, oh, you know, release this man, or it, he can just go free, because he was being accused of being a king. And if you're a king, there's only one king in the Roman Empire, and you can't be a, a king. I mean, you have Herod, right? 
Herod set up, but he's a puppet king. He's not even a real king. Jesus, on the other hand, he's, if he's claiming to be king, which he doesn't deny it, he becomes a serious threat. So the Sanhedrin were so determined to get rid of Jesus that they were willing to falsely accuse Jesus. The Sanhedrin are de- uh, desperate and willing to shamelessly break God's commands. So this is the ninth commandment, thou shalt not commit false witness, right? And so <laughs> these, liter- these uh, Jewish leaders are literally willing to break the ninth commandment to get Jesus crucified. And so they're, they're throwing everything at Pilate, trying to get Jesus crucified, and kind of waiting to find something that sticks. And accusing him of saying that he's a king finally sticks. It's the only thing that really gets him crucified. And Jesus' silence amazes Pilate and fulfills the prophecy that Jesus would go silently as a Passover lamb, as a sheep to the slaughter, Isaiah 53, 7. So it's important that we recognize that Jesus knows that he is the Passover lamb. He is the bread of life. He knows that he is the only one that will take away the sins of the world. So he fulfills all of the sacrifices of the old covenant. And he's going silently to die for our sins. He's not willing to stop them. He's not trying to put up a fight because, like I said, he's in control. He is ready to go to the cross to die for the sins of the world. John also reveals Jesus' origins and authority. So John 19, 7 through 11, which I'll read for us to you. John 19, 7 through 11. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And so, you know, like I said, Pilate's setting himself up as this authority, but Jesus comes from the Father. Jesus has the greater authority. The fourth point. The crowd exchanges one son of the father for another son of the father. This is verses 6 through 15. Verses 6 through 15. Now at the feast, talking about the Passover, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. So this is Pilate releasing them for the the Jewish people. And among the rebels in prison, uh, it's also in the other gospels, he's called the insurrectionist and and other things. who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. So Barabbas is an interesting word. If you guys know anything about Jewish uh, Hebrew, right? Bar means son of, and Abba means father. It's literally son of the father. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, uh, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? 
But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged uh, Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So the Jews uh, accurately accused Jesus of blasphemy. Jesus, and I love this quote from C.S. Lewis, Jesus was either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. Jesus was either a lunatic, a liar, or a Lord. So he was either a lunatic because he claimed to be God and he allowed people to worship him. People literally fell down and worshiped him. And he didn't tell them to stop. Either he would have to be a lunatic. He would have to be a liar because he called himself Lord. And so he, you know, people call, coming up to him and believing that he is the Messiah and he's equating himself with the Father. He's making himself equal. He's calling, says, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. I mean, he's making himself out to be God. Or he is Lord. So he's either a lunatic thinking he's God, he's a liar saying he's God, or he's Lord. So we have to, we have to wrestle with that. Um, Jesus doesn't allow us to just wander by and, and not wrestle with his true identity. Only accusing Jesus of being a king could get Jesus crucified. There's also an indication that Pilate knew that Jesus was very, a very important person. I love Matthew 27, 19 because um, Pilate's wife actually has a vision and she tells him, you know, about Jesus. And Pilate, so Pilate knows there's something going on with this man, especially when he starts talking about his authority, um, you know, being this, this king. Um, the, he, the, the people, um, when the Jews actually take him before you know, the Jewish leadership, they're, they're, they're like, you know, are you the son of God? And he says, you know, that basically he says that he is. <laughs> you say so. Like, there is no contest. He's saying, I am who you say I am. I am the son of God. And you'll see me on the clouds, right? Um, he's not afraid to say that he is the Lord. He is equal with the Father. So the bottom line is Jesus deserves all that we are and all that we have. We are invited to the new covenant Passover meal. So the reason I started off with 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8 and talking about my testimony is because there was a lot of things that I could have exchanged for Jesus. You know, there's a lot of things that the world around us exchanges for Jesus. Um, every time that we uh, could be gathering for worship, every time that we could be helping those who are in need, every time that we could spend time in prayer, and, but instead you know, we pursue the world, we pursue other things, we don't give our time to God, and we, we're, not exchange, we're continually exchanging other things for God, um, it leaves us empty. And, and we're not becoming the Passover sacrifice that we need to be. Whenever we live in malice and envy, we become this you know, nasty lump of dough that's not a good sacrifice for God. It's not the lump, that, the lump of dough that God desires us to be. So that we can be the communion that God desires us to be. And so, as we gather for communion this evening, uh, I want to encourage you with this. If there's anything that's keeping you uh, from becoming the, uh, un, the, the, the good lump of dough, right? Without envy and malice and, and anger and the things that separate us from God. Um, offer those up to God right now. As, as we pray and as we worship, let's spend some time together uh, offering those things to God so that we can be what God has called us to be as a living sacrifice. To receive the sacrifice, to be the sacrifice um, that he's called us to be. Thanks for tuning in. 
For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.